Well, we have 17 days till Christmas. So the pressing question of the moment could be, maybe for you, do you have your shopping done? Are you finished with your shopping? We are a shopping addicted country. Um, Advertisers have conditioned us to think, if I really want to express love to that person, I need to do it by selecting the appropriate gift and spending exactly the right amount of money. We populate uh, the closets and the attics and the basement and the storage units of our friends and family members with stuff that they don't really want and stuff that they probably will never ever use. Uh, And when it comes to our kids, some of us think, you know, I don't really care how much it costs. It's for the kids and I'm going to get it even if I have to go into debt to do it. Could it be that we're not really consumers, but we're being consumed because of all of this shopping. So how many presents are too many? I mean, could it be that, you know, unintended consequences are happening in the lives of our kids when we buy all this stuff that we're making them like greedy little monsters and consumerists and materialists that we are actually creating people that experience more and more consumption, but less and less satisfaction. I mean, is that really what Jesus wants us to experience at Christmas time? I mean, what if Christmas was really meant to kind of shake the world up, turn the world upside down, and make things inside out? What if we could find a way to uh, maybe spend half as much and give twice as much? So shopping. Do we really believe that buying more and more stuff is what Jesus wants us to do to celebrate his birth? I mean, what if we celebrated Christ's birth through four meaningful responses? We're going to worship fully. We're going to spend less. We're going to give more. And we're going to love all. And that's what the Advent Conspiracy is all about. We're in this new series called Advent Conspiracy. And some of us are going, okay, I wasn't here last week. Can you fill me in? Well, Advent is a word that means arrival. And it is a a reference to the first coming of Christ. Christ came. Christ lived. Christ died. He was buried. He rose, he ascended, and he's coming again. It's a referral to the second coming of Christ. So the whole idea is we need to be ready for the coming of Christ. That's the Advent part, the conspiracy part. It's like a plot. Uh, It's a secret group of people who are planning something that is actually revolutionary. And so when you put all of this together, the Advent Conspiracy is a purposeful effort on our part to engage Christmas in a way that is meaningful and truly celebrates and, this is my favorite part, demonstrates the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And so you got those four pieces, worship fully, spend less, uh, give more, and love all. So last week, Pastor Chad taught us about worshiping fully. Today's focus is on spending less. And so here's the big idea for us today. You're going to hear this a couple of times in this message. The big idea is even though I could spend more, I will spend less so that others, because I spend less, will actually receive more. 
Now, that seems a little complicated, maybe a little confusing, uh, but I think by the time we get to the end of our time together, you're going to see where this comes from and understand a little bit more about what it means. Now, let me hurry to say, when we talk about spending less, it's not because Jesus is some kind of a cosmic Christmas killjoy. Uh, that's not who he is. That's why he's not what he's about. In fact, God's not against you. God is for you. It says in Romans chapter eight, um, if God is for you, who can be against you? God is actually for you. He wants you to have a better Christmas, the best Christmas ever, a Christmas that is full of maybe less consumption and more satisfaction, more joy, more hope, more peace, more good things. And so God is after that for you and for me. So it makes sense for us to dive into this topic of how it might be better for us to actually spend less God's way. So open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we're going to look basically at one verse today. Uh, you know, at first glance, this is not like a Christmas verse. This doesn't come out of a Christmas passage. I mean, this passage comes from a letter that the great spiritual leader Paul wrote to a church in Corinth because uh, they had more than they need needed. And, and he was recognizing there was a church in Jerusalem. They experienced a famine in Jerusalem and that church was suffering poverty. And so he was collecting money from other churches in order to give that money to the needy church in Jerusalem. He, he recognized there are some people who have more than they need to help some people in need. And so he's talking about this in these chapters. And right in the middle of these chapters is this amazing verse that's actually one of my favorite verses for Christmas. It's Colossians chapter two, verses eight, verse eight, uh, chapter, chapter, second Corinthians chapter eight, verse nine. Here we go. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, although he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. So I also think about four truths about Jesus this evening. Here's the first one. No one was as rich as Jesus was. No one was as rich as Jesus was. And notice again the verse. It says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Jesus was rich. What does that mean? Well, his life didn't begin when he was born in the stable in Bethlehem. He is God. He is eternal. He is the creator. There never was a time when he didn't exist. He is self-existent. He has no beginning. He has no end. And in eternity past, Jesus was rich. I mean, think about it. The angel sang to him, holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. The one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. The whole earth is full of your glory. He received that kind of praise from the angels. The angels bow before him. Heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God we serve. That's Jesus. He was rich. Colossians chapter one talks about this. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And so he spoke and the universe came into existence. And if you made it, you own it. That's how rich he is. Psalm chapter 50, verse 10, for every beast of the forest 
is mine, says the Lord. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. So he owns everything. He's rich that way. But not only is he rich because he owns everything, he's rich because he receives all the glory and all the praise and all the honors, we said, from the angels. And he's rich because he's had in eternity past this perfect relationship between the Father and the Spirit. So everything you enjoy in a relationship today, every bit of warmth, every bit of love, every bit of goodness that you experience in a relationship actually originated within the Trinity in eternity past because he had this rich relationship, perfect with his Father and with the Spirit in eternity past. Jesus was rich. No one was as rich as Jesus was. But he didn't cling to his riches. Second big idea. No one was as poor as Jesus became. No one was as poor as Jesus became. Notice what it says here. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. He became poor. Now we could focus on his financial poverty. That'd be legit. When Christ took on flesh and became human, he became a poor human. He was born into poverty. He was born to a teenage peasant girl who was from an obscure town in Galilee, married to a carpenter. He was placed in a feeding trough on that first Christmas morning. He didn't come as a wealthy businessman. He didn't come as a powerful politician. He didn't come as a glorious king. He came as a blue-collar guy, lived a poor life. In fact, when he launched his public ministry, uh, he said that he didn't even have a place to lay his head. Luke chapter 9, verse 58. Jesus, Jesus talking. He goes, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the son of man, he's referring to himself, has nowhere to lay his head. The rocks in the fields were his pillows. And when he traveled in his earthly ministry, he depended upon the financial support of other people. And when he died, he had no money that he could use to take care of his widowed mother. The Roman soldiers gambled for his clothes. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. And so the gap between his glorification in heaven and his deprivation on earth was an infinite gap. Now, we could focus on his financial poverty, but even more amazing is the spiritual poverty that Jesus experienced. Remember, he was rich in his relationship with his father because he was God, but he laid aside the privileges of deity. Talks about this in Philippians chapter 2. Have this attitude or this heart or this mind in you, think this way like Jesus did, who existed in the form of God, but he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He divested himself of his divine prerogatives and privileges. He was despised and rejected by the religious leaders of his day. He was betrayed and abandoned and denied by his followers. He, he was mocked and ridiculed and whipped. And it says in the Old Testament, he was beaten so much that his face did not even look human anymore. And they spat in his face and they put a crown of thorns on his head. They pierced his hands and his feet as he hung there on the cross. And that's poverty. 
The ultimate demonstration of his poverty, though, was that he lost the richness of that relationship that he had with the Father because he hung there on that cross and he goes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The father he turned his back on his son. Why? Because Jesus was hanging there on that cross in my place and in your place. It should have been you hanging there naked on the cross, paying for your own sin. It should have been me hanging there on a cross, paying for my own sin. But Jesus was willing to become poor and to lose the richness of his relationship with the Father so that we could have a relationship with the Father. Listen, how many kings would step down from their thrones? How many lords would give up their homes? How many greats have become the least for me? How many kings would go from riches to rags? Just one. And his name is Jesus Christ. And that's Christmas. No one became as poor as Jesus became. Third truth, no one sees our poverty like Jesus does. No one sees our poverty like Jesus does. Notice it says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor that you... So stop there. Who's the you? Well, the you would be you, and the you would be me. The clear implication here is that the you are people in deep, dark, spiritual poverty. Now, we try to act like we're not poor. We try hard to appear rich, rich in relationships, rich in accomplishments, rich in our academic achievements, rich in our careers, rich in entertainment and recreation and all of that. We try to appear rich. And many of the things that we are pursuing so passionately is an effort for us not to appear poverty stricken, but to appear rich in a wide variety of ways. But Deep down inside, we know we don't have it all together. We are fallen, we are frail, we are faulty. We know we don't have this rich relationship with God, so we try to fake it. But the Bible says that our sins have made a separation between us and God. The Bible says that we are all dead in our trespasses and sins. That's why the Bible says in Revelation chapter 3, for you say... I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realize, realizing that you are wretched, and you are pitiable, and you are poor, and blind, and naked. That's who we are before God. That's who we are. But Jesus sees us just like we are and he doesn't want us to stay like we are because he wants to take those of us who are clothed in rags and he wants to clothe us in riches, in his robes of righteousness. So we've got to see ourselves as poor. We're in rags. We're spiritually and morally bankrupt. We, we will never be able to dazzle Jesus with our accomplishments. I mean, even our best 15 minutes won't be pleasing to God. No one sees our poverty like Jesus does. And this last part, this is the best news of all, right? No one gives us riches like Jesus gives. No one, no one. 
For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. You can be rich. If you have a real, true, legitimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if you've truly met Christ, if you truly know Christ, then you're rich. You say, well, I don't feel rich. (laughs) You know, the presents aren't piled up very high under my tree. And I get that, but the Bible is talking about the kind of riches that money can't buy. One of my favorite passages is in Ephesians chapter one. It talks about the riches that we have in Christ. I'll just read a few verses to you today. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. God's not holding out on you and me. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches, the riches, the riches of his grace, which he has lavished, lavished, lavished upon us. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. And it's just not a pauper's inheritance that you're going to get someday. You're going to get the inheritance of a beloved child of God, a beloved son, a beloved daughter. You are fellow heirs, co-heirs with Christ. That's the idea. Blessings, redemption, forgiveness, salvation, the indwelling spirit of God and an inheritance that will never fade away. These things are the true riches. I lost a brother to cancer a few years ago and when he died, he had to let go of his earthly accomplishments. Uh, He was a well-respected and successful businessman in Little Rock, Arkansas. He had a nice home. He had fast cars. My brother always loved fast cars. But those things weren't what made him rich. When he died, he had a freedom from guilt and a forgiveness of sins, the promise of heaven, and the hope of a reunion with the people that he loved. That was given to him by Jesus. And that's what made my brother rich. If you want to know how rich you are, add up what you have that money can't buy and what death can't take away. See, even if you have cancer, and even if cancer gets you, that doesn't affect your riches. The story of Jesus is a riches to rags story. So we could have a rags to riches story. There's a Christmas carol. It's it's not well known. It's entitled, uh, My Master Was So Very Poor. It was written in 1927. The boom years of 1925 and 1926 were over. Production in the U.S. had just started to decline. Home buying, home building were down. And the Great Depression was just ahead. And that's the context for when 53-year-old Harry Lee wrote about how the rich master, Jesus, became poor so that we could become rich.
So Jesus comes from heaven to offer grace. But it is a grace that has to be received. It's a gift. It's available. But it has to be received. And think about it. This is a gift to go from rags to riches. I mean, who's going to turn down a gift like this and yet millions do? But I just have to believe that tonight in this room, maybe, is the night for a few of you to receive this gift. And I'm not talking about just going through the motions. I mean, to move this gift from here to here so that it becomes transformational for you. And some of you might think, okay, how do I receive a gift like this? And, and down through the centuries, many Christians say, the way you can receive this gift is 
by repenting and by faith. And the way you can express your faith is through prayer. And so we've got a prayer here that may resonate with some of you. Dear Jesus, I confess I am spiritually poor. I'm in great need. I've sinned against you. Thank you for Christmas, for giving up your riches, for coming into this world to live and die in poverty so I could be forgiven. I want to receive your gift of grace. So please come into my life. Change me and make me spiritually rich. For some of you, this is your night. And so what I want to do is ask all of us to bow our heads, close our eyes. I'm not going to embarrass anybody, but I'm going to pray through that prayer phrase by phrase. And if your heart's beating a little fast, you say, I want those riches, then pray it with me, okay? Silently, quietly in your heart. Dear Jesus, I confess I'm spiritually poor. I'm in great need. I've sinned against you. Thank you for Christmas, for giving up your riches, for coming into this world to live and die in poverty so I could be forgiven. I want to receive your gift of grace. So please come into my life. Change me and make me spiritually rich. Amen. You know, if you prayed with me, we encourage you to take your worship guide. There's a little place it's called response card. You can check today. I prayed to receive Christ. Let us know about that. We're not going to bug you, harass you, show up unannounced, but we would like to help you know more about these riches that you just received. Some of you, you just moved from death to life, from darkness to light, from rags to riches, because that's what Jesus does. Now, some of you are going, oh, okay, that was a pretty quick message, but guess what? We're not done yet. <laughs> Because I want us now to think about how to apply 2 Corinthians 8, 9 to our lives. We've been called to follow Jesus. We've been called to actually live life like he would live life if he inhabited our bodies, lived at our addresses, and had our opportunities and responsibilities. Let me just give you a few verses about that. Uh, 1 John chapter 2. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way that he walked. So we are to walk like Jesus walked. Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for, for us. So we're to imitate Jesus. And then 1 Peter chapter 2. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. We're to follow the steps of Christ. So here's our calling as Christ followers. Walk like Jesus walked, imitate Jesus, follow in Jesus' steps. Now, how do you do that in light of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9? Well, you know, we, we're not going to be able to die on a cross and become poor like that so that other people could have eternal life and get the kind of riches. But you know what? We can imitate the lifestyle of Jesus. And what I mean by this is um, we can 
act poorer than we are so that others can be richer than they are. And that is the Jesus way. That's the second Corinthians chapter eight, verse nine lifestyle. And it goes back to Ephesians or Philippians chapter two, which it says, have the same attitude that Jesus had. So, so here's our statement for today. Ready? Even though I could spend more, I will spend less so that others, because I spend less, will be able to receive more. It's a practical application of seeking to follow the lifestyle of Jesus Christ, the one who went from riches to rags so others could go from rags to riches. So look at it on the screen. Read it with me out loud. Here we go. Even though I could spend more, I will spend less so that others, because I spend less, will be able to receive more. It's a big world that we live in with lots and lots of problems, lots of injustices, a lot of what I call global Goliaths that need to be slain. Poverty, dirty drinking water, human trafficking, refugees, prejudice, racism, kids needing foster care and adoption. And all of us here, we have more than we need to help people in need. Micah chapter six, verse eight, it says, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. It's required. Why is it required? Because that's the Jesus way. When you follow Jesus, you're gonna live that way. And I just want you to know this. The Lord during Christmas season doesn't like hit pause on our need to obey Micah chapter six, verse eight. He doesn't go, okay, you don't have to do that in December because you're using all your money to buy presents for people that probably don't need them. If we spend less on sweaters and socks and trinkets and technology, then we're going to have more margin in our budget to do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with God in a way that will alleviate pain and suffering in this world to a degree. We are not worshiping fully if we do not appreciate the riches to rags journey of Jesus so we could go from rags to riches. Obviously, we can't give more until we spend less. And our sacrifice, our giving up of greed and consumerism and materialism and worldliness, that's going to enable us to truly love all. I once heard a pastor, Andy Stanley, say this, it's more fun to say no to what I will not afford than to say yes to what I cannot afford. And some of us, we're frankly saying yes to what we can't afford. And we're piling up credit card debt, consumer debt. And rather, we ought to have the fun of saying no to what we will not afford so we can have some margin to bless some other people. So when you're sitting at your computer and you're ready to push the buy now button, what if you asked a series of questions? Or when you're at the mall and you got the gift in hand and you're standing there and you're getting ready to go pay for it, what if you had a series of questions you could ask yourself? I'm grateful that the creative team helped me on Wednesday come up with a series of questions. And you can see it on the back of your program, 10 questions to ask yourself before you spend. I love this list. Why am I really buying this? 
I mean, am I buying this because I want people to like me? Am I buying this because I'm competing with somebody else? Second, is there a better way for me to express my love? Or do they really need this or want this? Or I love this one. How long is it going to last? Where will they put it? How will I pay? What if I wait? And I think these next two are my favorites. If I say yes to this, what will I have to say no to? And if I say no to this, what can I say yes to? And then how is this purchase accomplishing justice, kindness, and humble walk with God? I mean, if you look at this carefully, it's got little dotted lines around here. Thank you, Christy, for doing that. Because it's supposed to be cut out, right, Christy? It's supposed to be cut out and put in your wallet or on your computer screen or in your purse. You might want to laminate it so it won't be destroyed. And keep it for next Christmas too. Because we need to take this seriously so we can actually follow the lifestyle of Jesus Christ. If we're going to spend less, it's going to take at least three things. One is a heart of worship. Because some of us are not spending less because we're failing to appreciate what Jesus has done in his riches to rags story so we could go from rags to riches. If we will worship him more fully, then we will have the strength, the ability, the passion, the desire to actually imitate, mimic his lifestyle as much as we can as frail fallen humans. If we're going to spend less, it's going to take a heart of worship. It's going to take a heart of sacrifice. Obviously, you're not going to be able to spend more until you, uh, to give more until you spend less. And our sacrifice, our giving up of what we want to get and our reputation and our traditions and all of that, it's going to enable us to truly love all. If we're going to spend less, it's going to take a heart of worship, a heart of sacrifice, and a heart of courage. Because some of us are spending more because of tradition. And it takes courage to break a tradition. Some of us are spending more because we're competing with another family member or a friend. And it takes courage for us to stop the competitive insanity. And some of us are spending more because we want to be liked by our spouses, our kids, our grandkids, our friends. And it takes courage to get out of the approval of others' rat race. A heart of worship, a heart of sacrifice, a heart of courage. So as we wrap up this evening, I want us to brainstorm just a few things, okay? A list of 10 ideas that might help us spend less this Christmas season, all right? So team is going to type some things in so we can see them all. You ready? Give me some ideas. Ideas about spending less. All right, just don't go shopping, okay? That's a good idea. Stay out of the mall, okay? What else? All right, so give from the heart instead of thinking I just have to give something material. That's good. What else? All right, handmade gifts. Yeah, make your gifts. Keep going. That's three. I need seven more. All right, make, make the gift of spending time with people. Yes. Delete the emails. You talking about the ads that you get in your inbox? Yeah. Just delete them. Don't even open them. Yeah. Good idea. Pray. Ask God, is this what you want me to do? Is this what you want me to buy? Good. Keep going. 
Say it again. All right, decide to help somebody in need. And if you help somebody in need, it means you got less money to buy for people that don't need it. That's good. What else? I mean, you guys can't let Sunday morning beat you. Come on. You got to give me three more, three or four more. Come on, let's go. All right, break bread with your loved ones. Yeah. All right, volunteer somewhere. Set a budget, keep your budget. That's good. What's that? Leave your credit card at home. Or maybe get your scissors and cut that sucker in half, right? One more. Okay, talk with your family and decide as a group, here's what we're going to do to bless somebody else. Just a couple of ideas that I had. Some of you, you've already done your Christmas shopping, okay? You're going, it's too late for me, man. This was like a wasted sermon for me. You know what you could do? Take one or two or three or five or ten things back to the store, (laughs) get your money, and give that stuff away to bless somebody. Or maybe you're going to get something. You go, you know what? I don't really need this. I'm taking it back to the store myself. And I'm going to give that money away. I mean, the sky's the limit. So look at that list up there. Can you pick one thing that you will do? Just one. Just pick one. Say, okay, that's what I'm going to do in order to spend less. Lord, forgive us for wanting to spend more on people that don't really need anything more. Save us from buying the stuff that distracts us and others from you. Because we don't want to sacrifice eternal riches for temporal stuff. Help us worship fully, spend less, give more, love all. And remind us that even though we could spend more, we will spend less so that others, because we spend less, will be able to receive more. And help us to do it as an act of worship and imitation of the one who's made us rich. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said.